0: This is the Data Science Conversations podcast with Damien Dehan and Dr. Philip Diesinger. We feature cutting-edge data science and AI research from the world's leading academic minds and industry practitioners, so you can expand your knowledge and grow your career. This podcast is sponsored by Data Science Talent, the data science recruitment experts. Welcome to the Data Science Conversations podcast. My name is Damien Dehan, and I'm here with my co-host, Philip Diesinger. Hi, Philip. How's it going? Hi, Damien. It's going well and looking
1: forward to the conversation with Julia. Great.
0: So today, a very interesting topic. We are talking AI ethics, responsible AI. So we'll be touching regulation, education, and the need to be critical about the current AI hype cycle. Our expert guest from NYU is Julia Stojanovic. Julia, welcome back to the show.
2: Great to be here.
0: Excellent. So just to remind everyone, Julia is an Institute Associate Professor at NYU in both the Tandon School of Engineering and the Center for Data Science. In addition, she is Director for the Center for Responsible AI also at NYU. Her research focuses on responsible data management, fairness, diversity, transparency, and data protection in all stages of the data science life cycle. Julia has been teaching and developing courses on responsible data science at NYU and is the co-creator of an award-winning comic book series on the topic. She holds a master's and PhD in computer science from Columbia and a bachelor's in computer science and maths and statistics from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. So, I think the best place for us to start, Julia, is perhaps you could give us your definition of what
2: responsible AI is. Damien, as you mentioned, I direct the Center for Responsible AI at New York University, and our goal is to make responsible AI synonymous with AI in a not-too-distant future. And so what, what do I mean by that? Just colloquially, I would say that responsible AI is uh, the socially sustainable design, development, and use of technology. We want to build and use AI systems in ways that make things better for all or for most of us, that help us reach our societal goals of you know, being able to cure diseases that we haven't been able to cure before, being able to distribute resources more equitably, more justly in society, and also, of course, making money for people, but making it so that economic opportunity, once again, is distributed in ways that are equitable and where it's not the case that we exacerbate the disparities and access to opportunity that already exist and are rampant in our society. When we talk about a responsible AI, one component of this term is AI ethics. Ethics is the study of what is morally good and bad and morally right and wrong. And then AI ethics is usually used to refer to the embedding of these moral values and principles into the design, development, and use of AI systems. And much of this conversation uh, usually centers around the unintended consequences of AI, of some mistakes that an AI system may make, or will suggest something to a human and then a human makes that mistake. And it also concerns things like bias in AI that many of us have heard about. We also want to think about arbitrariness in decisions as a kind of a mistake, perhaps, that an AI system may make. And this all falls under this AI ethics agenda. As a data scientist and a computer scientist myself, I prefer to think about things not in the abstract, but rather using some concrete examples to make things a little bit more tangible, a little bit clearer. So let's look at one specific example uh, that I think exhibits some of the hallmarks of responsible AI. This example comes from the domain of medical imaging, where like in many other scientific domains and commercial domains, AI is older age today and will likely continue to be. We are starting to use cutting edge AI tools in clinical practice to improve diagnosis and prognosis capabilities. So one specific example that that I like to use is a recent study that was done by researchers from NYU together with folks from Facebook AI, where they developed a technology called Fast MRI. It's a way to generate magnetic resonance imaging, MRI scans, that allows us to use a lot less data And that works much, much faster because this data that is generated is semi-synthetic. So we start with some MRI scan of an individual, a quick one, and then we fill in the gaps, so to say, with the help of this AI technology. It has been shown that these semi-synthetic MRI scans are diagnostically interchangeable with full regular MRI. And this is a huge deal because MRI machines are in short supply in many locations, and so this allows you to improve throughput to just get more people through, get more people diagnosed. And it also can make a huge difference for somebody who is claustrophobic, right? And they don't want to stay inside an MRI machine for longer than is absolutely necessary. And so what's wonderful really is that we're able to use the hardware, the software, The prediction capabilities to generate this data and to assist clinicians then in diagnosing things like cancers, different types of cancers based on this technology where there is a clear uh, need for improvement. We do need more access to MRI machines. We need better ways to diagnose and do medical prognosis where we can also validate the predictions that are being made with the help of these fast MRI scans, meaning You can get a bunch of clinicians together, they can look and then they can determine whether the person in fact does or does not have the kind of a disease that they are being diagnosed with. And we are able to do this given the current state of the art in in hardware and in software. Also very importantly here, what we have is an environment in which machines cooperate productively with clinicians who are well-trained, both in the domain in which they work they understand what it means for a person to have cancer and where they understand that the responsibility for the decisions and also for any mistakes that they may make even if the decisions are ai assisted are still with them right so all of these clinicians they have been trained in medical ethics they understand that the decision is theirs and that the responsibility for the decision rests with them it's not with the machine and so this together essentially gives us an environment in which AI is being used responsibly. It's helping us solve a problem, an actual problem. We can check that it works. And we have a responsible human decision maker in the mix. And this, I like to contrast with some other examples where the use of AI is less than responsible. And here there are lots of things that can go wrong, from us trying to essentially build machines that are Uh, creating a horoscope, a kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy rather than addressing an actual need and uh, where we can validate the predictions and the solutions that the AI suggests. To environments where we're just asking machines to make predictions that are morally questionable, like predict whether somebody will commit a crime in the future based on how others like them have behaved. Or where we put AI in an environment where they interact with humans who have not been taught how to interact with these machines, and then they just take the suggestions on face and they don't uh, take responsibility for any mistakes.
1: Thanks, those are great examples. You gave this example of the MRI machine, basically, which is in the healthcare sector that's you know already a very regulated uh, space, yeah, because uh, you're, you're dealing with patients and vulnerable people and so on. What role will or can global regulations play to move to a space where we really have no difference anymore between responsible AI and AI, like the vision that you pointed out in the beginning?
2: Yeah, this this is, again, a very, very difficult question. I don't know whether we are prepared to uh, regulate the use of AI globally. And we are and have been trying to do this in a number of very concrete domains. So, for example, little autonomous weapons is a very, very scary domain where AI is used, right? These weapons are autonomous. They decide what is uh, a target and what is a civilian. And uh, even in in this domain, it has been very, very difficult. The United Nations has, of course, been playing a, a tremendous part in this. It has been very difficult to come to a global worldwide agreement about how we can control these tools. These days, AI is being used, as we all know, in, in a variety of sectors, right, with a variety of impacts to health and to economic opportunity and to, you know, people surviving or dying in a battlefield. And so because of this variety, I think that it's going to be tough to come up with globally accepted uh, ways to regulate. In part, this is because of what I said about ethics early on, and that is that it's about values and beliefs and we don't really agree on a universal set of, of ethics or moral norms or values. Uh, but this is not to say that we shouldn't try. I think that there are some high-level insights that we all share and some high-level goals, and these are that uh, we should keep our humanity in our interactions with AI, that we should make sure that it's people who are deciding what the future will look like and not machines somehow
1: in your expertise or with from your perspective is this a problem that can be solved through regulations
2: regulation is a very valuable tool in uh, our responsible ai toolkit uh, it's not the only thing i think that we, we will rely on but uh, regulation globally as well as locally as well as you know oversight within companies and oversight by vendors themselves as well as awareness of the people being impacted by algorithmic decisions that are made with the help of AI. These are all very, very important tools in in the way in which we control these systems. And you also, you mentioned, Philip, uh, that we already know how to regulate in the medical domain. AI, of course, presents new challenges even there, right? So even if we have regulation in place, we need to be careful about how we think about the impact that AI is having. Uh, There's also kind of a negative example in the medical domain that that is well known, and that was surfaced by Obermeyer and co-authors in 2019, where they showed that predictive analytics that are used in many, many hospitals throughout the United States, and that estimate how likely somebody is to be very ill, that they show racial bias. And this is because of the way that the predictive problem has been set up, essentially, is that uh we don't really for you know the bulk of the population up front we don't know how ill they are we want to predict this and uh one of the proxies that was being used to predict how ill somebody is is how much money have we been spending on health care for them up to now right and because we have a biased system in the US uh where people from lower income communities and these are very often people who are uh, African American or Hispanic have less access to medical care, then healthcare spending is going to be less for them than for somebody from a more affluent social group, but who is equally as ill, right? And so by, by using these uh, biased proxies, we end up making predictions and kind of propelling the past into the future in uh, in the way that healthcare access suffers from these disparities so even in this domain i think we need to be very careful about how we use data how we collect it what it encodes and what are some of the harms that you know irresponsible use of data inadvertently irresponsible use of data may bring to this domain
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense from your perspective is it What's causing these bias boxes or biased features? Is it limitations of data? And and also what role would data models play for AI?
2: So like with everything else in this space, things are very complicated, right? Certainly the fact that data may or may not represent the world faithfully, and we call this bias in the data or one way in which data can be biased, this certainly contributes very strongly. To predictions of, of these machines that are trained on data being biased, but it's not the only signal, right? So I like to think about bias in the data by invoking this, this metaphor that data is a mirror reflection of the world. And this mirror may be a really good, precise mirror that reflects the world correctly. But even if we reflect the world perfectly correctly in the data, it's still a reflection of the world such as it is today. Right. So if our world is not right in some way, maybe it's gender biased or racially biased, or uh, it has some other distortions built in, then the data will reflect this and it will legitimize it essentially, right? Because it, it's just correct, it's objective. And so we need to also think about whether given the current state of the world and given the current state of our data collection and data processing capabilities, we in fact can do things better than replaying the past into, into the future with the help of these predictions.
1: And when we're talking about AI, uh, one question that's on my mind is, do you differentiate between different types of AI, like a simple regression model versus uh, GPT, LLM, or so from the perspective of responsible AI, or would it all fall under the same umbrella?
2: Yeah. So, so here as an academic, I choose to take a kind of an extreme point of view. And of course, in the real world, things may be a bit more nuanced, but just to, to, to make a point, right? I actually think that it doesn't matter what sort of a technology lives inside that box that we sometimes call black boxes or opaque boxes. It could be a very complex model or it could be a very simple one so i have spent the bulk of my career studying these very simple gadgets called score-based rankers where you have a data set of items let's say these are people applying for jobs and you compute a score for each item using a formula that you know up front some combination of standardized test scores for example and some number of years of experience and then you sort everybody on that score And even in that case, right, by taking, let's say, the top 10% of the people from that sorted or ranked list to then invite for in-person job interviews, you're introducing a lot of opacity. You, as a decision maker, are not going to immediately understand what is the impact of the scoring formula on whom you choose and whom you forego. So, for example, let's say that we're talking about college admissions and you are using some combination, let's say... Half of your score is made up of the grade point average of the student from high school, and half of the score is made up of their standardized score, like the SAT in the U.S. that we use. But if this is a very selective college, then applicants self-select, and only those with the very top SAT scores will apply. And so although your SAT score component has an equal weight in your formula, it's going to have far less importance because everybody's tied on that component of the score, right? So this already shows you that even seemingly simple devices can have side effects or direct effects that, that are hard for people to predict. And so rather than worrying about what lives inside that black box, whether it's a generative AI model or it's a simple you know, rule-based uh, AI or a scoring formula, we should worry about the impacts that these devices have. So what is the domain in which we use them? Can we tell what they do rather than how they work? And we have, of course, the scientific method at our disposal to help us deal with and unpack how black boxes work, right? So we can feed it some inputs and see what happens at the output. Are there any changes? For example, if I change nothing except an applicant's gender or ethnicity, if the output changes, then I can have a hunch that there is something going on here that is perhaps something that, that I should be looking into uh, more closely. So I wouldn't worry about whether we are dealing with a very complex machine or a seemingly simple machine. I would worry more about what these machines do, whether they work, how they work, how we measure their performance, and what are the stakes of a mistake, and how can we correct the mistakes.
1: Did you see a, a boost or an increased interest in regulatory questions and responsible AI with the rising now of generative AI?
2: Yes, absolutely. So it's it's a blessing and a curse, right? That there's now this hype around generative AI. The blessing is, of course, that every almost everybody is paying attention. So worldwide, right in the European Union and the United States, where I live, we have politicians speaking about the need to control the adverse impacts or the risks uh, of harm that the use of generative AI can bring. But together with that, everybody's just paying attention to AI more generally and to how we might oversee, regulate, bring more responsibility into our deployment of these systems. So it's a good thing in, in that sense. but But of course, hype is also very tiring and it's also harmful in that we are paying a lot of attention to things that may or may not matter immediately and so we shouldn't forget that we already are and have been using really for decades AI tools in very impactful domains and these are not going to be for the most part fancy tools like uh, large language models. They are going to be much simpler tools like uh, rule-based systems, score-based rankers, linear regression models. and. Uh These are being used in, you know, in hiring and employment and then credit and lending and then access to housing. And we shouldn't forget that if the tool or the AI technology is simpler, that there, there can still be and have been documented tremendous harms that the use of these systems can bring. And we should definitely regulate in a way that looks at who is impacted and what are the impacts rather than by regulating a particular kind of technology that sits inside the box
1: coming back to the topic a little bit of regulations, right? So what, what's happening in that space at the moment, right? So I think everybody is looking at the EU working on the AI Act. They have been uh, publishing small pieces of information about their ideas, how to approach it and how to categorize risks and so on. The, As you said already, the US is also working uh, on something. China is working on something. What would be your best guess how regulations will come to life like who's working on that who's in in, or going into the the right direction from your perspective at the moment
2: i think that we just need to try to regulate in this space we shouldn't wait until we come to a moment where we're absolutely sure that this is the right perfect way to put regulation into place and then everybody's gonna agree that this is the way that, that we should govern the use of these systems right that will never happen it's very hard to reach consensus. So I think that we should try. We should uh, talk less and do more. Uh, and I'm really glad that the European Union has been leading the, the way in this, starting with the general data protection regulation that has been extremely impactful and for which we in the United States still don't have an analog. And this is really problematic for us in the US. Uh, and I'm really glad that the AI Act in the European Union is moving forward. So again, in the US, we have been hearing lots of people speak about this and there are roadmaps and blueprints, etc. and these are very valuable. Um, but we're yet to see uh, regulation at the federal level in the United States. And so we, we are lagging behind. And in the US, of course, we have, a to some extent, a decentralized system. So there is also a lot of an opportunity in the United States to regulate at the level of cities and states. And uh, there, there's quite a bit of opportunity. And this is something that I have a more immediate experience with than uh, sort of federal level or national level uh, regulatory approaches.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, here in the EU, it's, it's a similar discussion. They, uh, there's also um, a perception that the EU is falling behind when it comes to AI technologies. And that f- seems to feed a little bit into the discussions about regulations um, so they want to be practical. They want to obviously, you know, catch up with uh, AI technologies and so on, but at the same time, uh, regulate it and, and make it safe. Yeah. Um, do you, from your research, see any evidence between the effort in regulations or the strictness in regulations, maybe, and uh, suppression of technological development or innovation in countries or geographies?
2: Uh, so I've not actually done any any research specifically to look at the impact of regulation on innovation. And I, I think it's hard to, to do this research, really, because we uh, don't have examples of, you know, two places that are comparable in every way, except that one has stronger regulatory regimes than another. I don't believe that regulation stifles innovation in any way at all, right? So when I spoke about what responsible AI is, to me, it's socially sustainable development of AI. And for us to reach social sustainability, of course, we need to make it so that when we deploy a tool that it doesn't break society further, right? Because then you have to recover from the ill impacts of that. So so to me, really deploying something and then seeing how it uh, plays out is not at all a sustainable way to, uh, to operate a society. And it only advantages a very select few. And it's the people who... Are releasing the technology and stands to benefit from it financially immediately now but in the long run this is gonna hurt us and it is already hurting us i personally see no alternative here we do need to uh, considering the success that this technology has had we do need to think about regulation at the same time as we think about uh, large-scale adoption of things like large language models
1: that makes a lot of sense so on the one hand side you know we are We are working on uh, responsible AI concepts, AI ethics, measurement frameworks, uh, understanding, you know, what's happening inside the black box and so on. There's a lot of research going into that, a lot of smart people working in that field uh, like yourself. On the other side, it seems also that the technology itself is vastly uh, or rapidly developing, gaining new capabilities, right, Uh, gaining uh, more access to reasoning and so on. So the risks might also be increasing uh, over time. So there is kind of like a, a fight between those two, or a balance between those two that needs to be to be hit. Like in which direction is it going from from your perspective at the moment? Are we catching up, and we are able to, we will be able to regulate it, and we have this sustainable, you know, uh, long term kind of positive interaction with AI, or is it? Is there a certain risk that you know AI is just developing so rapidly that we will not catch up, and there is a real problem about sustainability?
2: So I am an engineer, right? I'm not a, a philosopher or somebody whose job it is to predict the future. So engineers predict the future by making it, and I think that's actually <laughs> the, the only way, somehow, that you can predict it. So, so my prediction is that more and more engineers uh, are going to understand that. It's our responsibility to make sure that we build systems that we are proud of and that we can stand behind and that we engineers, but also others in society, of course, should take control and, and participate in making decisions about what we think we should be building and using and what we should not be building and using. And so, when we talk about responsible AI, that term itself is also a bit misleading, right? Like everything with AI, frankly, right? Artificial intelligence, that's misleading. There's no such thing. I'm sorry. (laughs) But so, so responsible AI doesn't mean that the AI is responsible. On the contrary, right? It's the people who are responsible for the development and use of AI. And one of the things that's particularly dangerous with this AI hype that we're experiencing right now with generative AI is that there is this push from some folks who are very vocal to say that AI is about to take over, that it has a mind of its own, that whatever harms befall us socially as a result of this AI now having accelerated, it's the AI's responsibility. And this is a really problematic narrative because it absolves those who stand to benefit financially and otherwise from the deployment of these systems of any responsibility for the mistakes. And we cannot allow that to pass. And this is a very simple, naive kind of an engineering point of view, right, on what's going on. But, uh, you know, to invoke William of Ockham, Ockham's razor, if something is simple and and captures the phenomenon it's likely correct right so so i think that this is really a point in history where we're witnessing folks fueling this ai hype for personal benefits so that they absolve themselves of the responsibility and yet reap all the benefits generally th- to me responsible ai is about human agency it's about people at every level taking responsibility for for what we do professionally for how we're impacted personally for how we use AI in our professional lives, like a a doctor using an AI to help them diagnose whether somebody has cancer, right? And we all need to step up and say, we are the people we are in control here. Agency, the agency is ours. The responsibility is ours. And this is, again, one area in which generative AI is presenting us challenges because a lot of the kind of impetus for these tools to exist is to seem indistinguishable from what a human would have produced, to create art that seems like a human could have made, or to respond to your question in natural language in a way that sounds like a human could have uttered that, right? So this anthropomorphization of AI, this is very problematic because it takes us away from this goal of staying in control and into somehow giving up agency, giving up control to machines. And this we should resist as much as as possible.
1: I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, You know, you're talking about who has the agency and, of course, it's the humans building the systems in the first place, so the responsibility would also lie with them. Um, But what do you say when people counter that Gen AI systems can start writing their own code now and potentially maybe start self-improving at some point in the future?
2: No, I don't believe that that's the case. And uh, furthermore, I mean, we should decide whether we are okay with this if uh, generative AI writing code is something that we think we can benefit from uh, where they can be used to automate some tasks let's say of software testing, something that you know is maybe mundane to some extent and humans get bored and are not very thorough then certainly we can allow this this use right But whenever we ask an AI to do something, we need to be able to measure whether whatever it has done is correct and good and adheres to the requirements that we have set out. And if we can't do that, then we cannot take an AI's word on face that it worked, right? So one example here that I like to use is in a domain that that I've been uh, very interested in, and this is the use of AI in hiring and employment. So. There are these tools that have been developed, several of them exist, that claim to construct a personality profile of a job applicant based on their resume. So you give a resume to an AI and it says you are 80% conscientious, 20% neurotic, and 30% dominant, right? And you just step back and as a human, you think, is there any way to validate this? Like if I, as a person, made such a prediction, could I actually check if I was correct? And if the answer is no, then we should not be using machines to make these predictions because they're engineering artifacts. And if we can't tell that they work, then they don't work.
1: What's your opinion on the release of ChatGPT to a mass audience? Uh, Is that something that happened too early or was it good because it created a lot of awareness? I mean, it obviously kind of triggered this development race between Microsoft and Google now. Yeah, there, was, there were attempts to kind of pause uh, GPT development or Gen AI development for a while uh, and so on. Yeah, But ultimately, we are in this race now. Was this too early in, in terms of the uh, maturity of the technology? Or do you not have an opinion on that at all? Or what's your stand on that?
2: I have lots of opinions on this. I, I definitely think that it's too risky and that it's extremely irresponsible to have unleashed this technology uh, without giving us any meaningful way to control how the data travels, where the data goes, to give us any meaningful way to understand where this technology can be safely used. Um, There are also tremendous labor issues that go along with the release of that technology that essentially, Artificial intelligence, of course, is based on everyday intelligence of people. And in this case, these were people who were, uh, who, and continue to receive very low pay for their work with just, you know, the, the labor aspects of this technology are, are tremendous. Uh, sustainability, environmental sustainability is very problematic of these tools. So I personally think that the harms, the actual harms to individuals and to society and the risks of further harm, due to data protection violations due to bias due to uh again anthropomorphization of of these tools right where they respond to you as if it's a human on the other side and this is deliberate they far outweigh the benefits but then the question is the benefits to whom right so if we talk about financial benefits of uh the company having released this technology then to them that's what matters and this is why we need regulation right so that it's not just the select few who benefit. So I personally don't uh, do any work that involves ChatGPT or other generative AI in a kind of a production setup because I just don't think that we should be feeding into this hype and we should be giving our data uh, and I don't think we should be studying these devices. Those who produce them need to spend resources, time, money on uh, figuring out how to control them before they can go into even broader use
0: yeah I think what I'm hearing Julia and I agree with you is that the the whole talk about the existential risk of AI is is definitely overemphasized overhyped I'm with Jan LeCun on that I think it's overstated but what are the bigger risks we've talked about some of them bias hiring etc what are the other more pressing risks that you see with the way that the current AI systems are being deployed right across our technology infrastructure
2: they, they are the same ones that, that that you listed right i mean so one of them is that of course decisions will be made with the help of these tools by people who do not question whether the predictions of the tools are correct in any sense so many of the decisions being made will be arbitrary and this is even beyond bias uh or an orthogonal dimension rather you know, being able to control the data that goes into these systems is something that we cannot yet do in the European Union because there is the GDPR. People are much more in control of the data that goes into these systems. We in the United States and elsewhere in the world are not as fortunate, right? So how our data is used, uh, whether we're comfortable with our data being used in this way is also problematic. And one of the angles on this is that you know there may be harms due to privacy violations, but another is just that even without a harms-based conversation, people have rights, right? We have rights to privacy. We have rights to uh, agency, to, to being in charge, both of our own data and existence and also of the world that society functions. So at a high level, it's really just that we're inserting a technology that we don't yet really know how to control. But... To be more concrete, and we were at a very high level in our conversation today, higher than than I usually like, we need to think domain by domain, example by example, who are the people who benefit, who are the people who are harmed, and who is in a position to mitigate the harms. And it's the same story with every technology that we've been experiencing throughout humanity, right? The Industrial Revolution also uh, left out some and benefited some others. And so we we need to make sure that we are, you know, acting and using technology in ways that are more equitable this time. Hopefully we're more mature than we were 100 years ago.
1: Uh, We talked about OpenAI already. Do you have a perspective on their uh, uh, super alignment initiative?
2: No, I don't have a perspective on on their super alignment initiative, and I'm not a fan of the term alignment in general because it uh, essentially is... uh, Usually the message there is that somehow we're able to just automate uh, moral and value-based reasoning in machines. And I don't believe that that is possible, nor should it be the goal. So it's, it's contrary to the agency conversation.
1: So in your view, it's more an engineering responsibility or engineering problem in the first place, you know, making AI systems like Gen AI systems responsible and following uh, or not causing any harm and so on.
2: I don't think we can automate ethics. I don't think we can automate responsibility. I don't think alignment in the way that it's being discussed right now is a productive way forward because it essentially borders on this conversation about algorithmic morality that folks like Elon Musk and others have been pushing, where essentially it's just the simplest, uh, least nuanced version of utilitarianism that, that we end up trying to embed. Like how many people die, how many people are safer, We add these numbers up, we subtract some, and uh, then based on that, we decide whether or not it's safe to deploy self-driving cars, for example. And uh, I think that the use of AI is way too complex, way too context dependent for us to pretend that we can automate ethics and responsibility and morality. So I I think that that's a dead end. There are, for technologists like myself, I think the main task is to figure out where technology can be helpful and where it has its limits. Technology cannot solve all problems that our society has presented uh, itself with over, over millennia. There's no way for you to debias a on data set and then proclaim that now you are hiring with no bias or lending with no bias, right? This is hubris. So we, we need people in the, in the mix, people making decisions, taking responsibility for decisions throughout. There, there's no way that we will align technology to our values, push a button and then say, okay, the world is just.
0: So... What what you said earlier, uh, responsible AI is about human agency. So what can practicing data science leaders and data scientists who are developing AI systems for internal use in their company or for their customers, what should they be thinking about to make sure that it's being done responsibly?
2: So in my very simple worldview, there are essentially four things at least four things, right, that that you need to think about and convince yourself that, that these conditions are met for you to claim that you're using AI responsibly. The first is that you are using AI to meet some clear need for improvement. You're not just using it because your competitors are using AI, but there's some actual problem that you can clearly articulate and that you want AI to help you solve. The second related point is that you can actually check whether the AI that you've developed or are about to develop is going to meet the requirements for that need for improvement, right? Can you validate that the predictions of the AI are good and correct? If you can't validate it, then again, it's, it's not the right setup. Also, of course, we need to uh, convince ourselves that the problem that we have set out to solve can be solved given current capabilities in terms of hardware and data and software. And if that is not the case, if data doesn't exist that would allow you to predict the kind of a thing that you want to predict, then it's hopeless. Because AI is not magic, right? If you expect it to be magic, you'll be disappointed. And the final thing is that AI very rarely operates autonomously. Usually it's uh, in a collaboration with a human, right? So the question is then, Do you actually have these decision makers who are well-equipped to work with your AI and to not take its recommendations on face, but rather to challenge them when they need to be challenged? So here, again, this example of a clinician working with AI to diagnose a disease. They shouldn't just say, yeah, this person has this type of cancer and we are going to subject them to uh, chemotherapy because the AI said so, right? They understand that it's up to them to make the decision so this decision maker readiness is a crucial crucial component. And then of course other things like legal compliance are you going to be legally compliant in your way of uh, in your data collection and AI use? Uh, are, is this socially sustainable? There are lots of other uh, very important criteria here but these four uh, are absolutely crucial. Is there a problem to solve? Can we solve that problem? Can we check that we solved it? And can we use this AI, this solution, safely together with the human?
0: So are you saying that AI should not be used for any, virtually any automated decision making? It should always be done in conjunction with the human?
2: This depends on what are the harms, actual or potential harms, right? I mean, and here there is... A lot of uh, conversation in policy and legal circles, Uh, the European Union AI Act speaks about this. And of course, before them there were other legal documents that also speak about risk levels, right, that then compel you to institute a particular uh, level of oversight. So, for example, the Canadian uh, Directive on uh, Automated Decision Making that the Canadian government has been abiding by for several years now, it also has risk levels and uh, they incorporate both, you know, the extent of the risk of harm, the severity, is it reversible or not? How many people are impacted? Is it just one individual or is it a large population group? So these are nuanced conversations to have. They're complex, right? But, you know, if it's a toy, maybe it's, it's less important to regulate it quite as closely. But if it's something that's deciding who gets medical care and who doesn't, or who gets a job and who doesn't, or who gets shot in a battlefield because they are considered a combatant versus a civilian and who doesn't, then uh, we, we need to think depending on the domain, right? How closely we look at these systems.
0: Can we let it drive a car ever? Do you think?
2: Uh, so I'm not an expert specifically in self-driving cars, but I think that we can let it drive a car if all other cars are also driven by AI. And if there is some level of coordination between them, But if you have a mix of, you know, humans and uh, AI driving and the roads such as they are today, I don't know. I mean, maybe in Germany on the Autobahn, we could do this sooner than elsewhere. But (laughs) I'm in rural Pennsylvania right now. And here, I just don't see how this is going to happen anytime soon.
1: Julia, I could speak hours with you (laughs) and go deeper. But to be honest, I'm surprised about a lot of the things that you say, but they make a lot of sense to me also at the same time. I mean, I'm working a lot with Gen AI, right? I mean, as much as you can at this point, uh, let's say this, right? So, And I'm also following the regulations discussion and so on and so forth. But your point of view is obviously different from uh, what I read in my daily work. What was very interesting for me to hear from you is this uh, idea that the responsibility lies much more with the engineers who build the systems and it's much less of uh, a chip that you're Put into the machine or a component of the machine that will solve the problem, right? Uh, of course, that's the way we think because that's all we do. <laughs> if something is missing, we build it into the system. Yeah, so uh, there is a very highest, uh, a very very strongly biased uh, way of us approaching that uh, as data scientists or data engineers. I, I don't know what the what the true what the final answer will be in the end, but I found it very interesting to hear for sure.
2: In engineering, right, we we have a point of view that is reductionist by necessity, right? What does that mean? We need to compartmentalize problems, right? We need to come up with models for subsets of the problem. So if you think about building, you know, a car, you don't want everything to be connected to everything. You can never make that run, right? You want to make sure that there are boxes that are clean. Maybe you don't look inside the box. And then there are very few wires connecting these boxes, And this is a really good, clean design, right? But the world is really complicated, unfortunately. It's very hard to have a reductionist point of view on things like bias in society when it comes to lending or hiring, right? Everything is connected with everything else. So then how do we figure out what we reduce into these boxes? And does it help to add more boxes or more wires? Or is it just like a problem with just the car not running at all? or you not being able to use the car that you built for the road for driving now to fly suddenly, right? It's a very different, it, it doesn't take another carburetor <laughs> or just attaching wings. It takes a completely design. So it, it's really this tension between like the engineering reductionist point of view and the more holistic social science kind of a point of view. And we need to land somewhere in between, but we don't yet have the methodology for this, even for the thinking. I mean, the way that we're taught is either reductionist or holistic. There are very few people who are able to navigate between these. So so that's that's the challenge for engineers. And like we are used as engineers to saying here's a problem, there's a solution to that problem. And the solution is from within the toolkit that we got. But that's not the case here, sadly.
0: Yeah, I think that's beautifully put. You're right. There's very few people that can straddle both the holistic point of view and the um the more reductionist. I think that's a perfect sentiment on which to um conclude <laughs>
2: and you know I'm, I'm not an expert in this either obviously i'm an engineer myself i've taken a couple of philosophy classes throughout my studies but yeah we all have our biases i guess from the background that we come from
0: so that concludes today's episode folks before we leave you i just want to quickly mention our magazine the data scientist issue four is out in early september And we'll be focusing some of the world's leading companies such as Merck and Continental on what they're doing in relation to generative AI in particular. It's packed full of insights and not adverts. And there are future articles from Julia. And of course, Philip is a regular contributor. You can subscribe for the magazine for free at datasciencetalent.co.uk forward slash media. But Juliet, thank you so much for joining us today. Extremely thought-provoking, some amazing insights there. It was an absolute pleasure having you on the show again.
2: Thank you very much, Damien, and thank you, Philip. It was a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Great. And thank you also to Philip and, of course, to you for listening. So do check out our other episodes at datascienceconversations.com and we look forward to having you on the next show.